Welcome to Exponential. If you're here last week, this is week two. If you weren't here last week, well, you are uh, lost. We each session stands alone, and I'll review a little bit. Or you can go online and watch week one. This is a three-part series, so we're almost halfway there. Exciting series for me. I have been really enjoying the prep for this, and I hope that you enjoy today as well. Exponential is all about a movement, a movement that Jesus started. Now, a machine is made up of interconnected moving parts. A movement is made up of interconnected moving people. And even though we are interconnected and moving, we're not really fully interconnected unless God has moved into our lives and he does the moving of those interconnections in a supernatural way and the movement continues with power. So that's what this whole thing is about. It's about how we're not just adding people, it's about an exponential movement where multiplication takes place as God is on the move. Now today we're jumping into a the aspect that we kind of prepped for, we were in chapter one of Acts last week. We were uh, seeing it describing how the disciples of Jesus were now 40 days after the resurrection. They'd spent some time with the resurrected Jesus. They watched Jesus ascend into the sky before he disappeared from their presence. He said, now you wait in Jerusalem. Just don't go home. Wait for the power to come and then you will be my witnesses. So wait for that power and you'll receive power to be my witnesses. So that's kind of where we were last week. Don't just do stuff. Be his witness. You can't be his witness without his power. And so that was the prep for today. And today we're going to get into Jumpstart. How many of you have seen one of these before? How many of you have used one of these before? Anybody not used one of these before? All right. So Jumpstart's an important uh, concept. It's borrowing power for, from somebody else to then be empowered yourself is a jumpstart concept. But I want to kind of set this up this way. Imagine that you were the last one out of your house and you got into the car, you put your keys in the ignition and you couldn't start it. Ugh. And you're running late. Ah, and it's, you're just trying and trying again. And you don't have jumper cables at your house. And so uh, what do I do? You call your mechanic friend and you describe what's happening. The mechanic friend says, okay, what's happening when you put the key in? What, what sound does it make? And you describe it all to the mechanic. The guy goes, ah, I know exactly what that is. Just bring it on over. I'll fix it. <laughs> right? It doesn't work like that. And you go, ah, uh, oh, he laughs. You're right. I'll be right over. And he's going to give you a jump start Now, all across the nation, we have believers in the movement who act like that mechanic. We're waiting for the broken people to come to us to get fixed. Shouldn't we be more like Jesus? Jesus left glory and came to us rather than waiting for us to come to him. While we were still sinners, he came to us. We were the broken ones. He did it for us, and he then gives us a jump start. And so that's a completely different paradigm than a lot of people are thinking churches are about. They're thinking churches are about waiting for people to come when they're kind of in a mess enough to where they seek God. No, we're to be like Jesus, where we go to where the people are broken. They need the jump start, and we give them a glimpse of the power in our life, enough to where they go, what is that? Or how does your life work so like that? Describe what's going on, and they get a borrowed experience of a glimpse of a reality they've not 
had. And that actually starts a spark and might cause them to want to come with you or whatever that might be. So that's kind of the idea behind Jumpstart, but it's bigger than that. Our focus today reads this way. Jesus gave us his power to move in his mission. Okay, we kind of been talking about that. Now this is the second week we've been talking about that. Jesus gave us his power to move in his mission. And so we're going to be in Acts again. In fact, all three of these sessions, Acts 1 last week, Acts 2 this week, Acts 3 next week, we're looking at the patterns and the power that is in the movement, not just as history, but how it relates to our lives right now. So last week was, we need to make sure the patterns are there. Wait, wait, pray, experience the realities and the power of God, and now something's going to happen where you have the power, you can talk about the power, and so we're coming into chapter 2. Let's jump into chapter 2. Before I start reading very much, I'll remind you what Acts is. Acts is the second part of a two-part work written by Luke, who was not an eyewitness of Jesus' life. He was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. And if you read the book of Acts this week, and if you're interested, I would recommend reading it all in one, one shot. You know, it's a great read because the second part is the description of the start of the movement and how the movement works. The first part, the gospel of Luke, the biography of Jesus, is a description of how Jesus came and what he did, and it's an ordered account that Luke has put together. By the way, in the New Testament, we always think Paul wrote so much of it. And he did, 13 letters. But in terms of volume, word for word, Acts and Luke, there's more volume of content and words than all of Paul's writings combined. Very, very interesting. But Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. Man, he was tutored by the best. And then he decides, I've got to study this thing. I've got to create this history so that Theophilus, who's wondering what is, how, what's going on with this movement, has all the background, and he writes it all out in one part, two parts. a great read. By the way, if you're reading Acts, and you're reading through, and you, it changes from they did this, they did that, they did this, to we did this, we did that, ah, those are the parts where Luke's there. Just take a look. It's kind of fun to read that way and look for that. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Okay, so these are the 120 disciples that saw Jesus lift off. He said, wait, wait, wait. They're all together. It's been 10 more days now. How do I know that? Ah, Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? Pentecost is the label or title of a Jewish feast that was used in the New Testament times. It's describing the same feast that the Old Testament called the Feast of Weeks. But Pentecost means this. Are you ready? 50th. Say it with me. 50th. It's the Feast of Weeks that came seven weeks after the day of Passover. So on the 50th day, so the same day, seven weeks later, 50 days later, is the Feast of Weeks celebration. It was one of three celebrations that every Jewish male, no matter where you lived, was supposed to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate. And they brought their first fruits and offered it to God, and God would bless their harvest, etc., etc. So this Pentecost feast was in a cycle of the Jewish calendar year, year after year after year. But this particular one is special. Here's why. Why is that such a big deal, Jim? Come on, a lot of Jewish history here. Hello, 50th. 
This is just 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It's only been 40 days then Jesus ascended. We're only 50 days later. What's the big deal, Jim? So, okay, okay, okay. Not too long ago, I ran into somebody, just had a little conversation about, you know, I turned it over to God thoughts, and he said, oh, that's the funny thing about myth. He's, he just thought of all God stuff as myth stuff. This is not myth. Here's why. Myth, for it to be created, takes centuries to create. You have to get far enough away from the historical events to create a mythical spin to explain that history. Okay? You have to get hundreds of years away from the mythical events so that your version of the explanation can be supernaturalized and explains the reality in the supernatural way. We're not talking myth here. We're talking 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, here it is. This is March 10th. Back it up. Do, 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 do. 50 days. January 20th. Remember January 20th? Maybe not the events, but if Jesus was crucified and you lived in Jerusalem and it was just that long ago, oh boy, howdy, you'd be talking about it, you'd be remembering it. The buzz is in Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about that guy. And some people think, oh, what guy? That's all myth. No. Non-believing historians wrote about Jesus. Non-believing eyewitnesses witnessed Jesus. So did believing eyewitnesses and believing historians. Everybody's writing about him. They're just trying to figure out what really happened. But it was real history. So historians wrote about this Crestus who was crucified, the leader of a movement that's exploding into growth. They don't believe in the resurrection, but they don't know what happened. It's like, ah, we're talking about these realities in such a short time frame. But can you imagine January 20th, what the talk would be like? Oh yeah, so he was crucified. I thought he was a really bad guy. He claimed all kinds of stuff. And somebody else says, no, I think he was a really good guy. You should have seen what he did. I was there at one of the miracles. And that kind of buzz is going on. And then the rumor is, there's a lot of people there talking about how he's resurrected. What do you make of that? I don't know. That's the climate when this event is taking place, when they're waiting waiting. Now they're on this event, and God does something right on this day. You want to hear some more? Warning you, it's weird. Really weird. And if you have this inner skeptic in you, you're going to have to deal with weird, okay? Um, Here's the thing. Everything that's miraculous, if you really pause and think about it, is weird, right? I mean, how do you explain somebody raising from the dead? That's weird. How do you explain anything miraculous? That's weird. By definition, if it's supernatural, it's extraordinary. And so it's not the normal pattern we're used to seeing. We go, whoa, can that really happen? Okay? We're we're entering into weird zone. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So let's just picture this now. 120 people gathered in, I think, which was the upper room, very wealthy home, large courtyard probably, praying together. They've been there 10 days. They keep gathering, praying, gathering, praying. They're praying together, and then suddenly a sound, and it's not a blowing wind. It's like the blowing wind. You ever been in a windstorm, and it's so loud, you have to shout to your neighbor, It's really frightening when you're outside and you're backpacking and you're afraid for your life and you're trying to shout, where are we going to find shelter? It's really, really loud. It's really frightening. Well, back in the day when there's pre-machinery noise, pre-amplification noise, 
pre, the only loud noise you can describe are noises of nature. There's this horrifically loud noise suddenly in this room where they're praying. And it's so loud, they're all like, what is going on? And there's no wind. There's no wind to explain the noise. It's just loud noise. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, which means out of nowhere, heaven is here in our midst, we just can't see it, right? Just out of nowhere, really loud. They're freaking out. It gets weirder. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I underline tongues because there's going to be a play on words in a moment that this translation kept, which I like. It keeps the play on words. There was tongues of fire. So picture fire with tongues. Can you picture that? Okay, so my tongue, now the flame, right? Okay, you picture a tongue, you get tongues of flame. They kept that wordplay on purpose. You'll see it in a moment. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire, so this noise is coming. All of a sudden, there's a visual, and it's right there in the room, and then it separates into separate tongues, and the tongues of fire rest on every believing disciple in the room. Weird, huh? Told you it's going to be weird. But I want to know what you're picturing right about now. Here's what I'm picturing. 120 human candles. <laughs> right? That's the visual. And it seems to me that we go from one supernatural manifestation, then the noise starts to dissipate as a visualization forms, then the visualization is over them, and then we get from one to the next to the next. In this supernatural weirdness, it's like a light and sound show that God puts on. Now hold on, why would God do this? Wait, wait, because a power will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. We want to say, no, 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 you're the light of the world. We're not the light of the world. No, you, followers in the kingdom, are the light of the world. All the lights just got lit. In their day, if there was darkness, the only way besides nature to dispel darkness is with flame. A candle or an oil lamp. And now you're visualizing the source of godly light to dispel darkness. How you be the light you are my witnesses. Start talking about what you have experienced and you're going to flood a dark world with light. This is the visual that we've been given. Told you it was weird. It gets weirder. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now the play on word comes into play. Tongues of fire now ends up they're speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay? And we're all going, what is that about? Let's keep reading. We'll talk that through. Verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You need to understand that Jews didn't all live near Jerusalem. 
Previous events in history caused a dispersion. We call it the diaspora in Greek. They went all over to different nations, and when they were regathering in their nation, not all of them came back to their mother nation. They practiced their Judaism elsewhere and come back for these feasts. Now you've got crowds of people commanded by the law to gather. There's thousands of them, and they're from every nation gathering. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. Let's keep reading. When they heard this sound, it's like, it's so loud, it's so unnatural, it's so weird. The whole crowd, one version says, went running to figure out what the sound was. What is going on? And they ran to see what was going on. So here it says, a crowd came together in bewilderment. And then, by that time, the noise has dissipated. I think even the visual has dissipated. Then, here's what they hear after the human candles the lights are no longer visible to everybody. They're still lights because now they're speaking in languages because each one heard their own language being spoken from all these different nations, miraculously. Later on, we're going to read, they look like Galileans. In our culture, we all pretty much look the same, but in their culture, they could differentiate what region you're from by what you're wearing. How is it that all these Galileans from the region of where Jesus ministered are speaking in our language, which they've never learned. This would have been handy in high school French. Man, I would have loved that miracle. I would have loved it in college Greek. Just supernaturally, huh, you want to listen to me fluently speak to you? That's cool. That's what's happening here. By the way, what's happening here, as far as I can study and read out, is different slightly from what happens in every other occurrence in the rest of the New Testament talks about tongue speaking. In every other occurrence that talks about tongue speaking, there's interpretation. Sometimes people speak in tongues, they don't even know what they're saying. And there, there's required interpretation. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see what I mean. In fact, it's even talked about as something that's for your own edification, not necessarily for clear communication. In this case, it was clear communication, no interpreter required. As far as I know, it was a one-time event in history, kicking off this whole movement. Later on, this event is similar but different that the New Testament describes, okay? Just, you can study that. It's on the flip side of your outline. Look at some of those verses. Let's jump forward. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? No interpreter required. It's just like they're speaking the language they came from. Whoa! Amazing, weird miracle. Now we're at the place where I want to help you understand why I'm telling you all of this, describing our movement. I don't expect that any of us are going to miraculously speak in, say, you know, Somebody from China or Mongolia comes in. I don't think I'm going to all of a sudden speak in their language. I don't read that happening very often at all. Um, But the Spirit does work in our lives as there's power. So we wait, wait, wait. We pray. And then God does something else, something unique. Maybe in our life, maybe in the life of the friend that we're praying for. And we then need to Explain it. Just like here, here's the question. Then how is it that each of us hears our own language? And so point number one, fill in the blank, explain your experience. When something like, maybe it's weird, maybe it's just God, and maybe it doesn't feel that weird, and they want to know more about this thing that has caused you to be who you are, explain your experience. That's how the movement works. 
You are his witnesses. Explain what he's doing in your life. Here's what Peter did when he tried to answer that question. Chapter 2, 14, then Peter addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Then we'll skip forward to verse 17. In the last days, here's what Peter does. It's kind of fun. Let me explain to you what's happening here. He opens up the Jewish scriptures, okay? The Christian scriptures haven't been written yet. He opens up the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament as we know it, and he, he quotes out of the prophets. He quotes out of Joel. And there's a lot there in the sermon. I'm just giving you a little tidbit highlight. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Later on, he does another piece of Bible study and he reads from the Psalms and he says, just like David said, and this Messiah, he was resurrected. And he quotes the Psalms and they're all listening to his sermon as he explains what's happening here. This spirit thing that you're experiencing is what Joel talked about. This is the last days. It is here. It has come. You witnessed it. That's his explanation. Okay, so when you are explaining, it won't sound exactly like that, but you're going to be explaining your experience. Point number two, make sure that when you do explain, you're pointing the spotlight on Jesus, not just on God or supernatural weirdness or anything. Point the spotlight on what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. Really important, that's what Peter does. Acts 2, 22. Fellow Israelites... Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This is what's so cool about this episode, okay? In the thousands of people that are gathered, and at some point in here, the, the audience shifts from at the house to the temple, and it doesn't describe how it shifted there. I think that so many people are gathered. Peter starts to explain, we need a better place to get better volume to talk to more people. Come with me, let me explain it to you. They end up at the temple courts, and he explains to thousands there this, as you yourselves know, in that crowd, this is March 10th, January 20th, just a few days ago, Okay, translate it into that day from Pentecost to Passover, the weekend that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. As you yourself know, just days before that, and some of you were there, you saw Lazarus raised from the dead. You saw that person that was blind, but now they see. This person who's lame, and now they're walking. I know, I know, but he had to be doing it by the power of evil. That's what they thought. Why? Because he said stuff like, you should never say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We are equal. What the Father does on the Sabbath, I do. They wanted to kill him for blasphemy. They thought all his miraculous was by the power of evil. They were felt totally justified in him being crucified. That's why secular writers write about his crucifixion. He was crucified. But watch what he does with his sermon. Verse 23, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. You put him to death. You put him to death. You put him to death. They're starting to squirm because he has already said, and he's going to say, God raised him to life. He is the Lord and Messiah. Let's read that. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He's describing events that just took place weeks ago. And this audience 
is electrified. They're riveted. They're terrified. And he then brings it home. Next verse. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you all know, you know the story, none of this was hidden in a corner, you know what was going on, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God made him Lord and Messiah. And they're thinking, we're dead. <laughs> we're dead, dead. We just saw a miracle, we just saw stuff, we just saw and it's fulfilling of prophecy, and they don't know what to do. So in verse 37, they cry out and appeal for mercy. Here's what they ask. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, this is the pattern that takes place over and over and over in the movement of Jesus where he continues to bring people to this place where they're asking such questions like this. Not this, but like this. Point number three. And it's up to us to clear up the confusion. Okay? By the way, every one of us is guilty of the Lord Jesus Christ's crucifixion. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. The guilt is on us as well. While we were still sinners, he came to die for us. It's only because we're sinners that he came to die. So in a sense, our guilt put him there. Okay? So we ask the same kind of question. So what do we need to do with our guilt? We need to clear up the confusion. And Peter obliges with a very clear explanation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let's take this context. A whole group of that crowd saw a manifestation of power that's unexplainable, heard the manifestation of power that's unexplainable, and now they're hearing this language that is unexplainable, their own language from people who never learned it, and, that they, and now they had a Bible study in their own scriptures that said, this is it, this is explained, this is the fulfillment. You're now here, and Peter says, here's what you gotta do. You gotta change your thinking. That's Repent. You've been thinking it all happened this way? Reorient your thinking. No, it isn't as you thought it was before. God is on his throne. Jesus really did this. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is one with God. It's not in your little Jewish box the way you thought. Change your thinking. And if you change your thinking, you will also be baptized, which, by the way, means dunked, not sprinkled. I know that's not popular, but that's what it means. It's always meant that. Dunked, immersed. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was dunking. He was saying, come to the wilderness and be dunked. Just like Jewish proselytes were dunked if they wanted to worship the Jew. So in other words, Gentile proselytes, they were dunked in a baptismal tank to be thoroughly washed before they could practice Judaism in the old Jewish system. And John the Baptist arises and says, you Jews, you need to be like a Gentile proselyte who are now repenting of your sins. And the Pharisees and others who said, no, we don't need to do that. We have our old covenant. We've got our old covenant symbols and signs. I mean, my dad applied the old covenant sign to me when I was eight days old. And I'm good. I don't need to do this other thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got it. I've arrived. John says, no. You need to repent and be baptized. Then Jesus took that same symbol, change your mind and thinking, and be more like the Gentile who says, I'm all off, I'm all guilty, I need to be washed, I need to turn and back to God. You need to admit you need help and be washed by God's washing. But now this baptism, Jesus connects it not just to the Gentile washing, 
He connects us to his death, burial, and resurrection. As Jesus was crucified, you are saying death to my old life. As Jesus was buried, you're burying yourself in the waters of death to be united with Jesus. This is Romans 6 if you want to look it up. And he's raised out of the waters into the resurrection as Jesus was resurrected from the dead so that you could be united with his death, his burial, his resurrection. The two of you become one. And when you become one, wash clean this way, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Luke wrote about it. Well, before we get there, here's a statement just to clarify. It's not the water that makes forgiveness possible. It is Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection that makes it possible. What is it? It's a ceremony. Kind of like a wedding is a ceremony where the two make vows and become one. It's a ceremony. In fact, Jesus took a ceremony, an ancient, ancient ceremony, and created a new ceremony, and Luke tells us about it in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the night before he was crucified, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. He took pieces of the ancient feast about Passover, and he He had the audacity and boldness to change it all into a new covenant, not the old covenant, and it's all going to be new in him. And the new covenant began, where we can have peace with God through a new covenant in Jesus' blood. And this particular ceremony we just celebrated in communion together is a renewal ceremony we celebrate on a regular basis to say, I'm all yours, I'm all yours again. It's a renewal of our vows. But baptism is the entrance ceremony where Jesus says, I've done this for you. Do you trust me? Will you be mine? And you say, I do. And then you're dunked, and you're saying, I'm all in. (laughs) And we give these shirts out to people who enter into that ceremony, and they receive a shirt that says, I'm all in. I'm all in. What Jesus did for me, I'm in. I want it. I want that. And the two become one in a covenant together. And the Spirit unites. And now we become moving people in a movement. Well, here's what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about three Thousand were added to their number that day. The nucleus of all the followers who said, I'm all in, up to this point, before this day, was 120. After this day, in one day, because they're close to the baptismal in the temple, they could baptize everybody. It says, I want this, I want this, I want this. And 3,000 are added. This is not addition, folks. This is exponential multiplication. Boom, 3,120. First day, movement explodes. And it starts moving and picking up more and more steam and speed. And that's the rest of what the book of Acts is all about. And all of history is reeling like, what caused this movement that turned Rome on its head so fast? What is it that happened I'm telling you, Jesus was raised and he jump-started a movement and that same Holy Spirit is in our movement now. Here's how we're finished today. Let me read this for you and I'm going to encourage you to consider 
this prayer for yourself, whether you're already connected with Jesus Christ or you feel like you're ready to take some steps. My dear Lord Jesus, you are the source of life and forgiveness. I need you and I turn to you. Thank you for taking into yourself the penalty of my, for my sin and making forgiveness possible. I honor you as my Lord and Savior and surrender every aspect and dimension of my life to you. I'm fully covered by the victory of your sacrifice purifying me and your resurrection giving me life. Restore me now in your Holy Spirit. Renew me in you. Amen. If you have an inner skeptic that's starting to respond today, you're not sure whether prayer even works. We're talking about a real person in a real relationship that's barely an acquaintance for you. How do you get to trust an acquaintance? You begin the conversation. You begin the dialogue. And as you begin that equation of trust, you begin to see if what he says is true and live it out to see if it's true. And the more you feel it as reality, the more you begin to trust or not. Depends on how that goes for you. But you can pray today this prayer as a first step of trust. Let's stand together and pray this out loud. Pray it with faith. My dear Lord Jesus, you are the source of life and forgiveness. I need you and I turn to you. Thank you for taking into yourself the penalty for my sin and making forgiveness possible. I honor you as my Lord and Savior and surrender every aspect and dimension of my life to you. I'm fully covered by the victory of your sacrifice purifying me and your resurrection giving me life. Restore me now in your Holy Spirit. Renew me in you. Amen.